Hi, this is Ron Mars, writer of Artifacts, Prophecy, Shinku, and assorted other sundries. Uh, and you are listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Pauline. So what are you watching right now that you're passionate about? The Met game. <laughs> now, I, I, I see your comments on Twitter. Uh, I know at least in season one that you were into Game of Thrones. Are you watching this season? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. We, uh, no, I guess we watched the finale on, on Sunday as planned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it's got swords and naked ladies. What what more could you want? Exactly. Well, and and in season season one, you know, uh, a, a lot more naked people than in season two. So. Yeah, but you know that's what HBO goes for. Yeah. Now what what, what cracks me up is is uh, watching all the commentary on Twitter about uh, you know how uh, Peter Dinklage is the best looking man on television. And, you know, I sit there going, you know what? I could absolutely see him, you know, coming up as like the sexiest man alive, you know, because he just owns every single one of those scenes that he's in. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Great. I just read the uh, the Rolling Stone interview that uh, cover story, actually, that, uh-huh. uh, that he was uh, he was featured on. And he lives now in like my old stomping grounds in the Hudson Valley. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so when they were talking about like where he was driving from his new Paul's home. I was like, oh, I know exactly where he lives. <laughs> so you could go up and see him. I could go stalk him, yeah. You could go stalk him, yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel bad. I, I've only seen the first episode, and I don't have HBO anymore. And I'm like, I want to buy it on DVD. Um, so, because it's not on Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. Right. So, I'm not, I'm not hearing a good reason why you're not doing that. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it's one of those things. I like to buy movies on Blu-ray, and I'm just like, do I want to take the risk of buying a series on Blu-ray? But everyone says it's great, so I'm sure it's worth the risk. Game of Thrones, yeah, it's, it's well done. Um, and you know, again, obviously there are there are some budgetary constraints. Uh, you know, it's not like you're looking at cardboard sets like on Doctor Who, but um, <laughs> but they do a really good job of of you know getting getting around um, the they, they pick their spots where they're going to spend money and show stuff and yeah. and it really kind of pulls you in and convinces you that the that the whole world is there. Now, have you read the books? No, my uh, my wife and and oldest son are actually. Uh, knee deep in them right now. Well, you know, uh, I, I was, I was so thrilled when they did the entire episode on the Battle of Blackwater because you know that's that's just such a huge point in the novels. It was nice to see that 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 the, the the creators of the show decided that you know we need to spend some money here. Yeah, I've I've forbidden my I, well, I think what they did was you know scrimped on some of the earlier episodes yeah. you know yeah. tried to save some money and dump it all into that one. Yeah. Um, but I've forbidden my wife to like, you know, 
talk about anything in the books as we're watching the show. <laughs> so, you know, when she, you know, when she nods knowingly at something that happens on, in an episode, you know, it's, I'm like, don't do that. Yeah. Just don't. <laughs> Stop that. You know, she's like, Oh, that's, well, that, that's not going to end. Well, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. All right. So one um, rule and one rule for you guys, we, we can't, gush for too long about freaking john carter i know it came out on dvd today in blu-ray you know i gotta tell you i came home i came running home today <laughs> expecting my pre-order to be here because in the past when i have pre-ordered from amazon it has been here on release day and uh i got, I got a big scroogey from amazon today I, I ran to my mailbox and there was no john carter blu-ray blu-ray waiting in there for me no no just you know bills well, I had a um, I had a breakfast meeting this morning, so uh, I was right down the road from Best Buy, and uh, strangely, it followed uh, you home. It followed me home, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the the four disc special edition, <sighs> yeah. you know, Best Buy. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually, I think there's a fifth disc with the Best Buy special edition. It's I don't know, it's probably crap. But have have you put it in the machine yet? No, because I wouldn't get anything done today. <laughs> I, I can't I can't wait to watch it. I just and, um, I can't wait to watch it again. And I probably won't. I probably won't get a chance to watch it um, the entire rest of the week. So, uh, see, so I, much work to do. Uh, Little League games to coach, and uh, and then uh, the guys from the Albany Convention will start rolling into town. Uh, Lee Motor and Nelson Blake will be in Friday night, and everybody else will be in uh, Saturday afternoon, and we'll have a cookout here. And so, my entire weekend is going to be blown with that too. Well, it's entirely possible that my boss intercepted my mail because I might have called in sick tomorrow just to uh, watch it on continuous sleep. <laughs> so uh, some disappointing news uh, last week on your uh, CBR shelf life column. Uh, yeah, it uh, you know, we, we knew it was coming, but it's the sort of thing that you don't really want to. You know, it's kind of like a death in the family. You don't really want to talk about it that much. Sure. And particularly, you don't want to talk about it that much while – you know, while orders are still being made, and, <laughs> you know, because uh, if, you know, if retailers and, you know, certainly to an extent readers as well know that the book is canceled, you know, there's a certain segment of that audience that is not going to order the book or is just going to stop reading the book. Well, you know, well, it's, you know, it's over with. I'm not going to bother anymore. Um, so there is a certain amount of, of, you know, self-preservation and kind of keeping that information close to the vest until you really have to. Uh, you really have to uh, say what's say what's going on. Um, so we, you know, we gave it a, you know, we gave it a run. Um, I guess you can't actually say we gave it a valiant effort since Valiant has returned to the marketplace. Uh, <laughs> that's just confusing now. That's right. Um, but you know, we gave it a run, and in some ways, we were our own worst enemy in terms of the schedule. Um, but that's. You know that's kind of how it goes. It's uh, you know you look at the books that you look at the books that continue. With it, they are the ones that come out regularly, and they're the ones in a lot of cases that have been coming out regularly for forty years. So yeah, all right, we are a calcified marketplace, uh, most most definitely. Um, and you you try to uh, you try to fill a niche where you can. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, I, you know, we're, the book we're talking about is Magdalena, and uh, the issue 12 was the last issue. Is that correct? 
Issue 12 uh, that came out last week yeah. is the last issue for at least the foreseeable future. Sure. Um, I know everybody at Top Cow uh, likes the book, would like to see it continue, but you know, you can't, you know, you can't commit financial suicide sure. uh, with the book either. Um, and then frankly, Top Cow let us go uh, even a little longer than, than was financially uh, feasible mm-hmm. in some ways to let us finish the storyline. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's something that I think everybody involved would love to uh, get back to at some point, but um, but right now it's it's just you, you know you set a certain number at issue one and and everything kind of slides down from there, um, and eventually you get to a point where the the slide has taken you into non profitability territory, right? Or at least non breaking even territory. I mean, a lot of books will will continue to to publish as long as it's breaking relatively even and, and hope to make a profit on the trade paperback collections uh, and, and on digital. But, you know, once you're too far in the red, you, you just can't come back from it, you know, which is certainly one of the reasons why you see books, even in Marvel and DC, you know, get canceled and then they come back two years later, right. uh, you know, dressed up in slightly different clothes uh, to, you know, to kind of try it again. So in your shelf life column, you had mentioned that, you know, particularly in independent books, there, there's a higher prevalence of trade waiting for uh, for these kind of titles. Um, do you would you think the second six of uh, of Magdalena will get collected? Well, I, the second six of Magdalena is at the printers already. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, it's it, in a certain. In a certain way, it, 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 if you have a six issues to collect, it almost doesn't make sense not to. Sure. Because you you know you're going to get uh, some orders, you're going to get some some shelf uh, some shelf space out of it. Um, and you know, for a publisher like Top Cow, um, that that trickle of money that comes in from uh, from collected editions is kind of an evergreen. Uh, so you, you know, you definitely want to keep them out there and. Um, Printing the second volume of Magdalena makes the first volume of Magdalena less of a less of an orphan. Um, they look better, you know, on the on the retail shelf next to each other. Hopefully, you get somebody to pick them both up. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I think there are there are definitely people who are more prone to trade waiting on on independent books because they're not quite so much part of the weekly zeitgeist in comics. They're not, you know, they're not. Avengers versus X-Men or, you know, whatever crossover is going on in a Marvel or DC book. Um, if, if it's an indie book, it's, you, you feel a little bit less, um, less left out, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. If you're not reading it every week. Um, you know, obviously a, a book like Walking Dead sells like gangbusters and trades. And I think that's one of the reasons is that, you know, people... Uh, people feel like they can they can consume that twice a year rather than ten or twelve times a year, sure. and still get the you know the satisfying experience out of it. Well, in Walking Dead, I think reads much better in trade. I don't think it reads particularly well as a floppy. Yeah, I've I've actually never read it as a floppy, ah, so I can't yeah. I can't really compare. I've always read it as a trade, um, but and and with the trade package the way it is, without any chapter breaks or right. anything like that. You don't. I mean, I just. I don't even know where the issue breaks are sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. I'm like, golly, you know, wh- where was this? You know, three issues. It, it reads as as one giant 
you know, arc or something. But yeah, no, I, 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 that's a book that I, I trade weight on those. I've, I've picked up a couple of floppies when I've, you know, encountered them in the quarter bins just to see how they read. And, uh, uh, I I don't think they read particularly well as floppies, but you know, I, I thought Magdalena read really well as a floppy, you know, in the single issue book. Uh, but I am looking forward to, to having it collected on my, my shelf as well in a trade. Uh, I really dug Magdalena. You know, it was a it was a story that really scratched that, you know, religious conspiracy itch, you know, uh, crazy arcane kind of history. Uh, I really dug it. I, I thought it was a great book. And, and I'm sorry that we're not going to see it, you know, on a monthly schedule for a while, at least. Well, if only you had bought 5,000 copies of each of you, <laughs> you would be having this conversation. Paul, you well, said you, you know, were going to do 2,500, and I was going to do 2,500. I only did 2,400, really. Well, you know, as problem. they say, thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Paul. All right, so that actually brings up a, a question. You know, before we get into – you know, we, we kind of want to tackle the hard stuff first, right? Um because we're hard-hitting pod- podcast. Yeah, yeah. We, your journalistic integrity out the <laughs> ass here. Um, Shinku. You know, obviously Shinku has been seen with some delays as well. Um, are, there, are there concerns about that book? Um, no, because that's, you know, a completely creator-owned book. And so if, if we continue to lose our shirts but still want to do it, we can uh, gotcha. You know, as long as as long as Image doesn't uh, decide, hey, you know, this book is too much of a pain in the ass. We're you know we're going to cut you guys loose. Uh, and thankfully, they've been very understanding to this point. Um, the you know the delays are down to you know health concerns uh, still with one of the you know one of the guys on the creative team. Mm-hmm. And while it's not, you know, I don't feel like I can. It, I don't feel it's appropriate for me to discuss the specific sure. health concerns. Oh, absolutely. Uh, of the specific person, uh, you know, I can tell you that it's just been a series of of things with uh, Mike Atia, our colorist, um, that you know, I, I and I know Mike is is cool with me actually mentioning that it's that it's his health concerns. Um, you know, it's he's had a hellacious last year to 15 months where it's just been a series of things with his own health, the health of his wife, the health of his daughter. And, you know, things come up and, and he, he, he just got enough hours in the day for him to deal with everything he needs to deal with, uh, including some, uh, you know, including some quite serious health concerns and then stuff like, uh, dealing with carpal tunnel that obviously if you're a, uh, comic book colorist, uh, having carpal tunnel in your hand is a really not good thing, um, or carpal tunnel in your wrist, I should say. Uh, so it's you know it's been a series of of very unfortunate circumstances, and uh, I understand that that people are wondering where the hell the faith issue is and are annoyed over it, and they have every right to be. Um, the other side of the coin for us is you know we feel like the creative team is a family, and we're not gonna we're not going to boot one of our family members uh, for having a series of bad luck and, and health concerns uh, as long as he's committed to the book and, and Mike very much is uh, we want to give him the chance to, uh, to complete his, you know, complete the issue and, and continue on with the book. Um, it's uh, and, and, you know, one of the other factors is that I think the book has such a different color palette 
mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of what Mike is doing. Right. Uh, I don't think it looks like many books out on the stands. Oh, completely uh, agree. Uh, it's not like we could just. It, it's not like it's a. Um, it's a it's a fairly standard book in terms of what the color looks like, um, and we can just swap in colors, swap colorists in and out uh, willy nilly. I think what Mike brings to it is so specific that it would be very hard to even get somebody to pinch hit for an issue. Um, so, you know, as of I now, absolutely issue, agree with that. Yeah. Uh, issue five is done in terms of uh, everything except the color. And, you know, Mike is getting the color done as he can. And as soon as it's done, you know, hopefully, you know, late this week, early next week, um, certainly within the next week or two, we'll button it up, send it to press, and it'll be in stores. And that will give us five issues to put in trade. The color in the trade will be consistent. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be really happy and proud of the package that uh, that we put out as the first trade. Um, you know, Lee has been continuing to draw as as we've been uh, waiting for Mike to be able to devote attention to the book again. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're banking pages and, uh, and we're going to try to, you know, try to bank pages and get ourselves onto a schedule that we can, that we can handle, uh, even with, you know, whatever unexpected health delays or deadline delays or whatever happens. Um, you know, everybody on the book is still committed to the book. Uh, and you know, we love doing it and frankly, nobody's even getting paid to do it. Uh, it's, it's very much a labor of love and, uh, you know, we know we have to build an audience and, and keep the thing out there in order to, to attract, uh, any kind of long-term readers for it. Um, so, you know, we're committed to it and it's been a bumpy ride so far, but, you know, we're very thankful for everybody that's, that's stuck with us so far. Now, Ron, you strike me as a guy who's got a, a whole bunch of stories to tell. And, uh, you know, in this market, it's almost like, you know, you, you could tell a whole bunch of stories if, if you, you know, had a committed, knew that you had a committed audience that was going to pick up the book. Have you thought about doing something on a Kickstarter with some, with, uh, some of your uh, artist friends? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the sort of thing that, that gets discussed um, more and more often frankly, uh-huh. uh, by, by creators as, uh, as more, uh, projects, uh, go, go in that direction. And, you know, and you can see the, the kind of wild success of some, right. which is, you know, which is certainly not, you know, it, it's not the sort of thing that's going to happen on every project, but, sure. um, but it, you know, it gives you a sense of the possibilities. Um, it does, you know, it, it, it does very much hold an appeal. Um, you know, that's, uh, yes, I, you know, do I have a lot of ideas? God, yeah, I got a, you yeah. know, I got a stack of them that I would love to get to. And so does everybody else in this business, frankly. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, you have to eat too. <laughs> uh, you know, you have to, you have to eat, you have to pay the mortgage, you have to, you know, you have to pay the car repair bill. Uh, so, you know, as a writer, it's, you can do more of a, of a juggling act and you do, you know, you do your creator own books that maybe you're not getting paid for. Um, and you do, um, you, you do work for higher stuff that you are getting paid for so that you can, um, you know, you can, you can keep the lights on. 
for artists, it's obviously a, a bit harder uh, balance to strike because artists are, you know, the vast majority of artists are capable of doing one project at a time in terms of, of working on monthly or even, you know, close to monthly books, um, which is the reason you see um, most of the quote-unquote, you know, the quote-unquote big-name artists, you know, the guys who have, uh, you know, have a certain amount of name recognition in the business are are doing work for higher projects because, you know, if you if you pull that plug on your um, uh, if you pull that plug on your on your work for higher stuff, you're probably not going to see a paycheck again for six months. Right. Uh, even if you are a big selling name and you're going to reap all the benefits of your creator own book, uh, it still takes a while to draw the book, get the thing completed, uh, get the uh, get the book out to market, get the sales back, get your check from the publisher. I mean, it, it's a long process. You know, you could starve to death in the meantime. Uh, so I, I find Kickstarter to be really uh, a really fascinating uh, avenue to pursue. Uh, I just want to make sure that when I do make that plunge, um, and and I intend to, um, that I'm doing it. Uh, on a project that uh, we know we have a window of opportunity to to get completed, and you know, I've heard a couple horror stories of things that things that go to Kickstarter and then don't actually get completed. Sure, which to me seems like um, you know seems like a real um, a real specific betrayal of the right. readers' trust. Absolutely. Um, and and you know if too too much of that stuff is obviously going to kind of wreck Kickstarter uh, for the rest of us, uh, and I, hopefully that's not the way it goes. But I think you have to be very careful in terms of of um, what you're you know what you're asking people for and what you're what you're going to come up with in return. Yeah, you know the 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 fear of of kicking in and not getting anything back is, is, is pretty real. You know, I've had a couple of things that I've kicked in on that it took for a long time, uh, for the guy to deliver. And fortunately, everything I've, I've, I've kicked in on has delivered, but you know, some things certainly outside the window of what was promised, but I would think a, a guy like yourself, you know, who's been in the business a long time has a reputation of delivering would go a long way to, you know, uh, delivering on that trust. I think folks well, would see the name. It's um, yeah. I mean, look, I you know I do this every day, but certainly there are days where, you know, you're juggling too many projects, and this mm-hmm. one gets late, and that one doesn't get. It's it's. Um, I mean, as I said in the the Magdalena column, um, you know, losing losing schedule and losing deadline is like a is like a snowball rolling downhill. Sure. Um, it it picks up speed, and it and it picks up. Uh, uh, you know, it, it picks up size as it goes, mm-hmm. and eventually you can't get out of the way. Well, I, I'm eager for you to do your first Kickstarter, so uh, be sure and let us know when that happens. <laughs> I, I'll put you both down for 2,500 copies of that, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. you can probably count on Paul for 2,400 because you know, <laughs> he's got a reputation of just coming up a little bit short. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ruin my reputation. You know, in, in, you know, honestly, in. In that regard, I think it's, it, there's a beauty to Kickstarter in that it's a direct conduit from the creators 
to the readers, to the customers. Absolutely. Uh, it cuts the, you know, it, it cuts any sort of publisher middleman out of it if that's the direction in which you choose to go. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's frankly expensive to do comics. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's expensive all the way around. And at every juncture, somebody, you know, somebody takes a bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, the publisher, you know, of, of your creator-owned project, somebody takes a bite. The publisher gets gets its cut. The the distributor gets its cut. The the retailer gets their cut. Um, so by the time you know you've put all this labor into it, uh, your piece of the pie isn't appreciably larger than anybody else's, even right. though it's yours. Um, and I think Kickstarter is one way to to make the the piece of the pie for the creators uh, a bit larger if they if you choose to do it that way. Yeah, I I, I find Kickstarter exciting, and there's. I've I've recently encountered that there are more projects out there that I'd like to kick in on than my wife will allow me to spend money on. So uh, well, I won't tell her. <laughs> Ron, you have an ever-present place in my budget, so don't, don't stress about that. <laughs> okay, so, go, take it away, Paul. <laughs> all right. So speaking of books, we're going to pay for. <laughs> That, that it's out on the shelves right now as listeners are listening to this prophecy number one comes out this week from dynamite entertainment and i believe it's your first work for dynamite it is not it is not uh, i actually i actually did a a red sonia one shot and an issue of uh red sonia a number of years ago now but um you know, it was one of those things where, in the in the past, I I kind of had that that red Sonya itch to scratch, uh, having you know read some of those some of those comics and actually some of even some of the novels um, as a as a sword and sorcery fan teenager. Um, you know, when they when when Dynamite started publishing Sonya, I was like, well, I I got to do one of those. You know, I've got to. Uh, you know, I've got to get that out of my system. Um, so I did that. I did, you know, I, I did a, I did a couple of jobs and wrote the character and kind of did what I wanted to do with it. And then Dynamite approached me about this, and it seemed uh, just the way the story was set up. It seemed like um, it, it made sense to have her be uh, the, the central character more than any, more than any of the others. It's it's very much a, a kind of a I wouldn't say a team book but a a group book, but she's very much the the uh, the character around which all the other ones pivot. So let's talk a little bit about you know you said Dynamite approached you about this. How did that you know how did this idea kind of formulate that this crossover of some of some of them are are properties that Dynamite publishes regularly. Some of them are def are, are not at all, you know, books that they publish, uh, you know, characters like Dorian Gray and things like that, and, and Dracula. So I mean, you know, how, how did, well, I guess they did do the complete Dracula. Well, and, and Dracula, idea? Dracula's been guest starring in uh, Vampirella. Oh, has he? So, okay. Yeah. So I mean, how did this idea kind of formulate to to do this crossover of all their properties, and not to spoil too much of the first issue, but there's flashes of Almost, I think almost every dynamite property um, in a, in a rather impressive two-page spread. Yeah, there's a there's a number of uh, kind of sneak peeks there. Um, the you know it really came about just with um, 
uh, frankly, I don't even remember whether they called or I got an email that um, that Nick Barucci uh, and Joe Ryband from uh, from Dynamite wanted to talk to me at the Baltimore convention uh, last year about something, uh, and the something turned out to be ultimately uh, prophecy, although it, it, it even had a had a different name at that point. Um, and the, the general concept was we want to, you know, we want to put a bunch of our characters together uh, in um, in a storyline that is is in some way connected to the, you know, to the Mayan 2012 prophecy, uh, and uh, you know, basically just do a what is ultimately a a fun comic book type story. Uh, you know, comic book in the you know in the very best sense of the word, uh, that that's fun and not you know not ashamed to have a certain sense of uh, comic bookiness to it. So and, um, it went through you know it went through a a number of of iterations in terms of the characters that were involved and the type of story we were going to tell because. You know, anything like this has a lot of moving parts to it, as you know, you know that you can get certain characters approved for appearances and certain characters aren't going to be approved for appearances. Um, you know, knowing that, that we were always going to have Sonya as, uh, as kind of a linchpin character allowed me to um, come up with a, with a basic story structure and then... Um, make adjustments as, as we went along. Now, is this your first time to write Vampirella? Yes. So is 14 year old you doing cartwheels right now? I don't know <laughs> if he's doing cartwheels. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did you uh, have to catch up on any of the, you know, current storylines going on with like Vampirella? Uh, or did you um, just you kind know, of not go so, back? Not so, not so much in terms of specific continuity, because we kind of wanted this to stand on its own and and be a welcoming read to, you know, somebody who hadn't looked at a Dynamite book in five years. Um, you know, obviously I had to get myself acquainted with um, with some of the, the, the kind of the secondary characters or the 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 less iconic characters that appear in the book like, uh, like Panther and, uh, you know, Herbert West reanimator is in, mm-hmm. is in it as of issue two. Um, so I had to get a sense of, of, um, you know, their, uh, their more recent appearances in some of the dynamite publications. And they were kind enough to send me a big box with a bunch of comics in it. Um, that's one of the perks of the job. That is uh, one of the perks of the job. <laughs> um, but you know, but overall, you know, when I approach any any of these kinds of stories that that bring a bunch of different characters together, a lot of it is for me about kind of figuring out what makes that character work um, and what what the distillation of that character is, right? Uh, and using that version, using that. Um, kind of the, the most iconic presentation of the, of the character uh, in the story so that, so that, uh, you know, the, the non continuity freak uh, readers out there can, can follow along just as easily. So the, the book is set in the 19th century. Uh, kind of, sort of. 
kind of sort of. That's where it starts. <laughs> okay, so that's where it um, starts. That's our starting point. When you when you sat down to figure out what characters you wanted to include, what were the first things that 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 you know you were just excited about? Ooh, we got to have this. Um. Well, you know, right off the bat, the, the book opens with the Sherlock Holmes sequence. Uh, and I knew I was going to like the book from that page on because I always like whole books where Holmes and Dracula are in there. Um, yeah, it's kind of a period. natural pairing. Yeah. Um, you know, I really like the uh, – um, I really like the the fact that we can play with some of these characters and have them brush up against each other, uh, even if they're not going to be – in the same scene all the time, um, you know. And, and frankly, I just, I just had a hankering to write a Sherlock Holmes scene, and so that's how we ended up with it. You know, pure, you know, pure sense of I want to do that on my part. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, I figured out how how that sequence could could fit into the rest of uh, the rest of the storyline, and and hopefully. Uh, you know, it'll it'll all make sense by the end, and we'll have a, a number of appearances by Holmes through the issues as he takes care of business in Victorian London, while in you know in other eras, other things are happening. Uh, I, I think that's that, that's why I can describe it without giving away <laughs> too much. And this is a seven book series. Uh, seven issues, completely self-contained. You don't have to buy any tie-ins, any spin-offs, any. Uh, any of the various and sundry ways that you know most all publishers try to uh, try to suck more dollars out of your wallet. I, I appreciate that, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, you know, we, we actually talked about it. it was you know it, it was the sort of thing that um, that we that Dynamite and I actually discussed. Not that you know, not that I'm you know that said. Well, I put my foot down. We can't have any tie-in. Uh, issues. That's certainly their decision, and it has to work in terms of uh, their business plan. Um, but that was very much their their notion moving forward, is they just wanted to kind of do more of an old-school crossover where um, you know, you gather a bunch of characters together and you tell a fun story, and that's, that's frankly all you do. Uh, you don't try to turn it into um, a line-wide event that goes on for 50 books. But you see, then you could have separate books where it's like Dracula versus Red Sonja, and then another book where it's Red Sonja versus Vampirella, and you could have all these versus books going on, Ron. That would be silly. Who would ever do such a thing? (laughs) (laughs) So is the release... I I mean, honestly, there's there's also a certain practicality to it. Look, if you're going to have the Avengers and the X-Men beat the hell out of each other... You know, just to use a hypothetical example. Right, yeah. Um, look, people are going to show up for spinoff titles and issues because everybody's got their favorite character and everybody, you know, wants to know, you know, who's stronger, than, uh, you know, Thor or Colossus or, you know, however that all shakes out. Um, when you deal, when you have characters like the Avengers and X-Men, you can get away with... Uh, uh, expanding that into a into a larger project, and the, the audience is probably going to come along with you. Um, I think when you're when you're not dealing with those kind of uh, icon, direct market favorite characters, um, you have to be a little more judicious in 
in what kind of projects you put out uh, because I think it's uh, I think the audience uh, can can tend to go oh there's going to be you know there's going to be 18 issues of that the hell with it I'm not buying any of them well and I think seven issues is a pretty good size you know to to keep people engaged and you know I, without get, without going too long and you know I think it's a and it's seven is it seven monthly issues seven bi-monthly I mean as seven far monthly as issues uh, seven monthly issues me and Walter Giovanni uh, you know assuming uh, tragedy doesn't strike either one of us correct uh, correct and uh, you know I have to say Walter's you know Walter's work on it is is really pretty amazing I'm, this is the first time I've worked with him and uh, I'm really happy with the kind of with the kind of stuff he's doing. Now I wouldn't mind chatting a second about the art. You know, how did you how did this artist get approached for the series? You know, was he approached by you? Is it you know someone dynamite that worked with dynamite before? Um, you know, and of course the cover art is amazing as well. Um, in terms of the interiors, uh, Walter was the was the regular Red Sonia artist, and uh, he was doing a good job on that and. Uh, you know, Dynamite kind of said, "This is this is the guy. You know, this is the guy we want to we want to have on the book." And you know, I I didn't kick up a fuss at all. Um, I was impressed with what he was doing uh, on Red Sonia, and and obviously one of the you know one of the bonuses here is um, he's a you know he's a guy that can hold a monthly deadline and uh, and turn out beautiful pages. Besides, that's a uh, you know that's a real commodity uh, in this day and age. Um, so, so far I, you know, I've been really thrilled with, with what he's been doing. Um, I think issue one looks really cool. You guys have seen that obviously, uh, mm-hmm. issue two looks better than issue one. Well, I, I loved issue one. I, it's, uh, it, it's promising a whole lot and I, I, I can't wait to see how it delivers out. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> now, are uh, you finished scripting it, or do you still have scripts to turn in on? No, I have scripts to turn in. I, I should actually be turning in a script now instead of talking to you guys. <laughs> well, don't uh, don't pay too much attention to that. <laughs> um, yeah, I still got uh, I still got uh, a fair portion of it to write, and uh, hopefully over the next month or two, I can get uh, you know I can bank the rest of it and uh, make sure that. Uh, uh, make sure that Walter is uh, buried in pages. Good, good. Um, but so you know, but I certainly have an outline, and I know kind of where it all, you know, where it all ends up, and and where the, you know, I, I always try to start a story, and I know the beginning, and I know the end, and I sort of have a hazy idea of what the middle is. Right. Um, I think if you if you outline stuff too strictly, um, you kind of beat the life out of it. Sure. Um, there's a certain amount of, of um, you know, it sounds terribly cliched, but there's a certain amount of magic that goes on mm-hmm. when you're on in the midst of this stuff. And um, I think it, you have to let yourself be open to that rather than uh, having the thing uh, so uh, so tightly outlined that it becomes, you know, it becomes more of a uh, more of a tactical uh, project than a creative one. Right. Yeah. Now, you know, of course, we're we're totally not professional here at Funny Books, you know, because we've been speaking about this book for, you know, about 10, 15 minutes now. And, uh, you know, we haven't really described what the book is about. 
so you know, you know, you know, you, you go to those comic book resources interviews, and you see that the first question is, "Tell us a little bit about prophecy," because you know, those guys know what they're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, before we move, you know, before we move on to the next book, you know. Tell the listeners who you know who may not be familiar with prophecy, but you know they see the show art, the regular subscribers to the show, um, and are, are fans of you who are not familiar with the series because they don't read regular Dynamite stuff. You know what's prophecy about? You know why should they pick it up? Uh, I just figured everybody went to, went to CBR and read those stories already. <laughs> That's probably a good point. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll give you the we'll give you the high concept. It's. Um, uh, a a collection of uh, dynamite heroes and dynamite villains. Actually, when you get right down to it, uh, including Red Sonja, Vampirella, Dracula, Herbert West, Reanimator, Panther, and a handful of others, um, come together to prevent the end of the world, uh, which is being uh, which impends due to the uh, Mayan uh, doomsday prophecy. Stupid Mayans. Those stupid Mayans. Um, uh, although, you know, since there's no more Mayans left, I think they <laughs> probably uh, probably didn't plan that well anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as I, you know, as a as a side note, I've actually been to quite a quite a few uh, Mayan ruin sites uh, previously, and just I, I've always kind of had an interest in in that culture and that architecture. Uh, uh, in that that uh, that design style, uh, so when the idea came, you know, when the idea was put forth, like, oh, let's you know, let's kind of base this around the the Mayan prophecy. I was, you know, I was all for it. Um, you know, it's a, you know, there's there's just a just just enough of a really kind of creepy otherworldly edge to the to the Mayan design uh, style that. That I'm, you know, really kind of enthusiastic about, and I've, you know, crawled around a few Mayan ruins that are fairly creepy too. So I'm trying to bring some of that to uh, to what we're doing. Now, so, you go ahead, Paul. No, if you're going to still talk about prophecy, you go first. No, no, I was, I was, I was transitioning, but you go. I was going to ask if you had any hesitation about accepting the the prophecy offer, given that you just finished up a crossover um, with artifacts. Um, I, you know, honestly, yeah, I had to think about it a little bit um, because uh, these kind of crossovers, uh, or, or really any crossover, they can be a lot of fun. They can be, you know, they can be a ball to do. And I've, and I've done a number of them in my career and I've been very fortunate to do a number of them in my career. Um, and the vast majority have been, have been pretty great to work on. There, however, have been a couple that turn into a real pain in the ass because you're serving a number of different masters. You're juggling a number of different characters. And sometimes that outweighs the fun of putting characters together that have never met before. Um, so yeah, I had to think about it a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I decided to take the plunge and so far it's, uh, you know, so far it's been a lot of fun and, and, you know, not as much of a logistical nightmare, uh, as it could be because dynamite does a really good job of, of, you know, coordinating the, coordinating the, the character appearances and getting permission from the different rights holders and, 
um, this this kind of thing could turn into a real cluster uh, if somebody wasn't wasn't riding herd over it. But uh, but Dynamite's been really good about um, kind of insulating me and Walter from from that end of it. Um, they're kind of just letting us do what we do. And if we have to, you know, if we have to make a, an adjustment here or there, we do that. But um, it's not the, you know, it's not the rolling series of, oh, wait a minute, we changed our mind kind of stuff that, that you, you can suffer on projects like this. Well, I got to say, uh, Dynamite has been producing a, a just really strong quality line of books over the last several months. Uh, we're reading shadow we're reading the spider uh the bionic books i mean there are just so many good books coming out of dynamite right now and i'm just thrilled with uh prophecy i just I'm, I'm, you know i think they're doing good books and and uh, uh, to me that you know the reason for that is that they're letting good creators work on the books yeah uh, you know you can have a great license like the shadow but if you don't have the right people working on it you know, it's um, it's a lost cause. Uh, thankfully, they're you know they do a pretty good job of creative casting. And um, you know, if you know if somebody out there you know want, hearing that you know uh, Garth and Aaron Campbell are doing the Shadow didn't go, oh yeah, that's the right team. You're right. Uh, you know, you're nuts. Uh, and and that is frankly not the that frankly that kind of stuff doesn't always happen. Um, I think one of the one of the harder things for for people to get a handle on in this business is is that aspect of of putting the right people on the right book, um, and and it's not always done, and it's not always um, you know. And I think sometimes it's because um, you know editorially publishers want to um, want to retain as much control as possible over this stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that leads to hiring a creative team that doesn't have quite as much of a vision of what it wants to do. They're just looking to please. Sure. Um, I guess ultimately there's nothing terribly wrong with that, but um, that can lead to um, some pretty vanilla books. And, uh, you know, I think to... Uh, to Dynamite's credit, they uh, they let people do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of once the direction is decided and the and the um, you know the approvals have been have been nailed down, um, they pretty much let you do what you do. Which to me is that's the way you do comics. Um, you you hire the right people and then kind of stay out of their way. Uh, at least that's that's the way that when I was coming up through the ranks, that's the way that I was was taught. Um, and that if you know editorially, if you know if a book turns into a problem, well, ultimately that's really the editor's fault because the editor didn't hire the right people to do it. So, do you know what the uh, digital plan is for Prophecy? Is it going to be day and date? On uh, truthfully, I I don't have the foggiest, and I should know that, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, uh, I honestly don't know. Right. Well, yeah, I have to tell you, you know, um, I didn't start reading the the uh, recent incarnation of Witchblade, uh, the the version that you were writing, um, until after we interviewed you the first time, and so you got me hooked on Witchblade, 
and it broke my heart when you when you left the book you know uh that you know we were we were we were ending this nice run that we had had together on on Witchblade. but i gotta tell you ron i am loving what you and stapon are dishing out over on artifacts yeah, that a bunch. that so. is one of the best written best drawn best colored books on the market i i it is a gorgeous book and it is a story so well told. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I think you're having a whole lot of fun over there. Uh, yeah. So you know, so far, uh, having, um, you know, having a bunch of fun, and um, Stepan and I are getting to play with some different toys, which is always kind of cool, and that, and that's sort of creatively energizing to do some different things. Um, I, I think. Artifacts also gives us an opportunity to to open up the storytelling a little bit, mm-hmm. um, where we weren't quite um, we weren't always uh, in the mindset of doing that on Witchblade because it was more of a uh, it was more of a noir book, which I think lends itself to um, tighter, more dense kind of visual storytelling. Um, whereas on Artifacts, we're trying to blow things up. Uh, to really let Stapon do what he does uh, a little bit more often. And he's really responding to it, and so I'm trying to make sure that uh, I'm attacking the, the scripts in ways that, that can give him some room to play. Um, and, and the other thing with Artifacts is that it, we're, we're going to be able to tell a number of different stories. Right. Uh, the, the, next, the next story arc kind of uh, goes in a, in a bit of a different direction uh, than than the previous one and stars some different characters, although uh, Tom Judge and, and Tilly will both appear in it. Um, the, the next arc is, is kind of a different flavor than what we just gave you. And the arc after that will, will actually feature uh, a, a slightly, uh, I don't want to say a slightly different version of Magdalena, but a slightly evolved version of Magdalena from what we saw in, in uh, issue 12 that just shipped of Magdalena. Uh, so we're going to jump her story ahead a little bit and and bring her back in. So it's it's the kind of book where we we have the we have kind of a wide open playing field in front of us. And um, while we're always going to come back to um, Tom Judge as a focal point, um, we're going to branch off from that uh, fairly regularly and kind of tell more of a uh, uh, tell tell some different stories that that otherwise maybe wouldn't quite have a venue. Now, uh, now question for you about, you know, the artifacts book, you know, you, you have left Witchblade. you are form, you are doing artifacts and it reads kind of like the backbone of the top cow reborn universe. And, you know, I'm going to go into spoiler territory here. So spoiler warnings on, Hardcore spoiler warnings on, you know that the Top Cow universe at the end of issue thirteen of Artifacts kind of went through this is now reborn. Um, uh, you know, Jackie Estacado has recreated the universe, um, you know, in a way that is preferable to him. And so, you know, we're exploring that universe in Artifacts. Do you feel any kind of? Do you? How much coordination do you have to do with guys like David Hine and uh, Tim Seeley on their books? Because I. Again, spoilers on, but I'm not going to spoil it too bad. The ending of Artifacts, issue 18, which is out on shelves this week, very closely ties in with what's going on in the Darkness books right now. Sure. Um, 
Well, you know, <laughs> frankly, with, with only three monthly books in the Top Gear universe, you know, Artifacts, Witchblade, and Darkness, if we weren't coordinating, coordinating them, we'd kind of look like schmucks. Huh. Um, you know, we try to strike a balance between making sure we know what what is going on and what each other, um, what each book is doing without um, without tying them together so closely that you have to read all of them. Um, obviously, we would prefer you read all of them. Uh, it's only three books a month. Uh, but if you, you know, if you just want to read Witchblade or you just want to read Darkness or you just want to read Artifacts, they all make sense in and of themselves. But if you're reading all three, you're going to see some, um, you're going to see some threads that, that kind of tie things together a little bit in um, hopefully uh, clever sorts of ways that, that, don't, uh, that, that add to your enjoyment of the story rather than taking away your enjoyment if you're not reading everything. Uh, so we we actually get on the phone at least once a month with uh, or get on Skype actually nobody gets on the phone anymore um, <laughs> with uh, with Philip and Matt from Top Cow and David Hine and Tim Seeley and we just sort of kick around uh, each other's scripts and ideas for uh, where things are headed and you know and at certain points where uh, where more um, where more serious ties can come into the can come into the storyline. Um, again, we don't want to put the reader in a position where you have to buy every book to understand what's going on, but we we want to reward the people that are reading all three books with uh, you know with some nods and winks uh, to how everything kind of fits together. So, in I, I'm real curious about uh, your scripts for artifacts. Uh, Stapon draws these, you know, brilliant scenes with, you know, the darkness creatures. And you know, how much direction are you giving him on, like, the amusing shirts that some of those guys will wear? Um, you know, most of that is just shit that he's making up. Uh, <laughs> you know, he uh, uh, he's, you know, he's kind of. Uh, um, um, you know he's kind of a uh, an idea machine, frankly, and uh, has a pretty you know has a pretty uh, sharp sense of humor too. So a lot of that stuff is just you know once in a while I'll throw something specific in, but a lot of that stuff is are just things that he's tossing in and then I'm reacting to when I go through and um, uh, when I go through and and polish up the script. Well, it, it, like I said, it's it's a beautiful book, and I, I think that your your uh, your words and, and and his art just beautifully blend. I uh, I really get a kick out of that out of out of artifacts. Now, uh, well, are you? Thanks. I uh, you know we try. I mean, every every time an issue comes out and I get a copy, I look at the stuff that I'm not happy with rather than the other side of the coin. I think that's what most creators do. Right. Um, but uh, so you know, it, and and actually, most creators work pretty much in a vacuum, so we don't get a lot of feedback in terms of what what people are digging and what people aren't. Um, so it's appreciated. Yeah. Now, are you and Stepan still working on that? Um, you're working on a an original property, a fantasy property, if I remember correctly. It was previewed in one of the Witchblade books. Um, yeah, I think some of the, I think, and a lot of his, a lot of the artwork from it is uh, is on DeviantArt. It's it's called Ravine, and it's really uh, Stapon's story. Uh, it, it's very much the kind of thing that's his sweet spot in terms of the epic fantasy with 
dragons and creatures and epic battles and armies clashing and, and, and essentially the sorts of things that, that artists generally want to strangle you for asking them to draw <laughs> on a regular basis right. is what he's really attracted to. You know, the, the, the you know, hundreds of soldiers fighting on a battlefield, you know, his eyes light up. Um, and not with, you know, not with murderous rage like a lot of other artists would do. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're still, he, he's actually starting to crank through uh, the second volume of it. Uh, I have to um, go through and write the dialogue for the first volume. Uh, it's, it's very much his story, and I'm kibitzing and um, adding the dialogue. And, it, you know, it'll, it'll be our book by the end of the whole thing. But um, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want it to look to, to have to give people the impression that this is the story that I handed to Stapon to draw. The situation is this is the story that he drew, and I'm helping him tell it. Uh, and I, I got to say, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty amazing story. It's it's uh, it's the kind of thing that that frankly nobody would. No publisher would be crazy enough to give you the green light on ahead of time to do uh, because it's it's a big story with a lot of characters um, a lot of uh, a lot of characters who um, don't fall on an easy on an easily definable you know good evil axis it's um, it's a pretty spectacular looking looking book um, and at least for now, we, we're looking to to publish it as a original graphic novel. Uh, it, it's uh, 120 pages or so of of story, and I think it works best as 120 pages of story. And then there will be, you know, some some bonus material like maps and character designs and this vast wealth of stuff that 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 he's produced. Um, so ideally, you know, I think we'd like to to partner with a publisher to do this as like a, you know, 150, 160 page hardcover, uh, and have that be the first volume rather than doing it as signal uh, as singles. Um, I don't know how ultimately feasible that sort of thing is because most publishers need to do that, you know, need to do the the single issues to try to make back the make back the costs and. Um, and you know, keep that money trickling in while they're paying for ensuing issues. But since the thing is already drawn, and basically it's it's almost a finished product at this point, and publisher a, a publisher wouldn't have to shell out page rate for it uh, in whatever kind of deal we set up. Um, that gives us a lot more uh, a lot more say so in, in what format it takes. Well, I'll definitely be keeping my fingers crossed for that one because I mean his yeah. artwork is gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. Ultimately, I don't know when it's going to be. I just know that it will be, um, and uh, when it comes out, I'm going to be pretty, uh, pretty ecstatic with it. You know, we were following you over on, in uh, the pages of the New Fifty Two on Voodoo. What was your reason for for leaving uh, the Voodoo title? Uh, they fired me. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the short truth. Okay. Um, you know, uh, at which which they are perfectly in their rights to do. So, uh, you know, I, I you know I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna varnish the truth, and I'm not sure. gonna, uh, and I'm not gonna hide from it either. Uh, they, the outgoing editor called me up, uh, called me up one night and said, "Hey, um, 
uh, so you're done. And I said, why? And he didn't really have an answer for me because he wasn't given an answer by his, uh, by his superiors. And that's honestly, and that's how that that I know. Um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I was having fun on the book, uh, as, uh, you know, the, the book that we set off to, we set off to do and, um, the storyline that, that we were telling, you know, I was having fun with, and I was having a ball working with uh, Sammy Bosry, who I think just did, and is still doing phenomenal work on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it, for whatever reason, it was not the right fit for DC, and they decided to to hand the book to somebody else. And you know, again, that's uh, that's certainly within their rights. These are their toys, and they just allow us they just allow us to play with them uh, once in a while. Um, so I wish I had been able to, uh, at least get to the end of, uh, the end of the first story arc, but, um, for reasons that I, I guess I'm not privy to and probably will never be privy to, um, they wanted a different direction. And so that's what they decided to pursue. Sure. So uh, what do you have new coming out? You got anything uh, that you can tease for us today? Um, I do have things coming out, but I can't tell you what. They, oh, actually, I can tell you one thing. Okay. Uh, I uh, I forgot that this was actually announced. I'm, I'm actually uh, <laughs> working on a working on an Amazon uh, on an Amazon of of Amazon.com uh, script uh, uh, film script that is part of their people's production arm. Uh, that they have asked myself and Matthew Dow Smith to uh, to adapt into a into a four issue comic. Oh, really? Uh, and this is exclusive content for Amazon. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Uh, it's at, at the moment it's planned for you know for digital release uh, in four issues. Uh, so we're in the process now of of um, taking taking the script uh, that. Uh, that Amazon that was you know is entered in one of Amazon's screenwriting contests and Amazon decided to take this one on. Um, so they've handed me the script to adapt into a comic and and uh, you know make some make some changes here and there in terms of of what they were looking for from the story. So um, you know it's it's an interesting you know it's an interesting process uh, where I'm kind of working off someone else's script and uh and then bringing bringing uh amazon's wishes to it and bringing my sensibilities to it as well so at the end of the process we'll wind up with a you know with a graphic novel that uh that tells this uh kind of cool kind of creepy story so can you can you uh share anything on what the story is about um, I don't know if I'm supposed to because I don't think they've actually oh, okay. let out too much information uh, about the the story itself. Um, I can tell you that it's a it's a period piece, mm-hmm. and it's it's the kind of thing that in, in terms of uh, Matt Smith's art style is right up his alley. Uh, and uh, so far, I'm really pleased with the way it's coming out. It's been a lot of fun to work on. Wow! So we we do have some questions from Twitter for you this evening. And so the first one is from Joe Chummer, who asks, besides creator-owned work, what book has been your number one favorite to work on? Oh, boy, that's like, you know, 
I, I guess it's not really like picking one of your kids because <laughs> uh, they're not actually yours. I guess this is like picking one of your adopted kids <laughs> or, or maybe or, or maybe foster children that you've That's had right. in the house for a while. Now, be careful. Um, you don't want to get in the same boat as the Avengers and have the uh, the adopted uh, advocacy groups, you know, filing complaints against you. Just be yeah, careful. Yeah, because, no. you know, because because Loki's feelings were hurt. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've worked on so many different things, and it's hard to pick. You know, I think I can pick issues out of a lot of different runs that I've had. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think, one of, you know, a few of the things I really – uh, just had a ball doing were um, the Batman Tarzan uh, crossover that I did for Dark Horse in DC, right. uh, which I'm not even sure is still in print anymore. Uh, but I think there are copies floating around out there. Um, that was that was a bunch of fun. Um, that's probably at the top of the list. Uh, I had a great time with the Green Lantern Aliens crossover. Uh, yeah, I liked that one. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I did a, a black and white uh, Daredevil story with Brian Stelfreeze that that probably nobody has even seen because it was it was published in Marvel Shadows and Light, which was kind of a reaction to um, DC's first Batman black and white story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that's one of those little little gems that just everything came together right, mostly because Brian Stelfreeze is a genius, and I was just kind of riding on his coattail. <laughs> uh, but it, that's a that's a little gem of a story that I'm really proud of. Um, and, you know, I had fun with a lot of the cross-gen stuff. It's, it's, it's hard to pick uh, things other than, uh, than your creator-owned stuff because that's sure. always a little bit nearer and dearer because uh, it didn't exist before. It, you know, it, 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 you plant a seed in the ground and then uh, something something cool like Shinku or Samurai Heaven and Earth sprout up. I love me some Shinku. So uh, we have another question from Travis S. McLean, and uh, on the on the tales of your uh, Batman response, he says uh, Victor Freeze was a scientist. Shouldn't he be Doctor Freeze instead of Mister Freeze? This is a semantics question, I guess. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, he hashtagged it as occurred to me in the bathroom just now. So uh, uh, Travis S. McLean's a little creepy in that he tweets from the bathroom. Just uh, saying. Well, I'm, I'm glad he's thinking about all of us and while he's in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and apropos to nothing, we have uh, uh, Seth Alitos has asked, "Who would win in the fight, Batman or Doctor Doom?" Batman, because he would cheat. My point exactly. And then, and also, also, you know why else? Because he's Batman. That's right. And then we also have a question from Neo Surge. Oh, and there's there's actually uh, one other reason that he would that he would Batman would win. Because uh, Doctor Doom was obviously kind of a pussy, because he, you know, cried a single tear <laughs> with the, the wreckage of nine eleven, which uh, I still find to be one of the most, you know lame kind of reactions <laughs> to a, a real world tragedy uh, in comics uh, that I've ever seen. You heard it here, internet. Dr. Doom is a pussy. Ron Mars. <laughs> <laughs> we have last question is from Neo Surge who said, who asks, who is your favorite superhero and why? Um, oh man, that's, uh, 
you know, I guess probably Batman or Superman. You know, everything, to me, everything starts with one of them. Uh, everything, uh, to a certain extent, comes from th- those character types. Um, and then I think you sort of get into Spider-Man as the everyman character, which is really a third archetype. But um, I guess when you get right down to it, it doesn't get a whole lot better just in terms of iconic character than Batman or Superman. So uh, what comic are you reading right now that that is knocking your socks off? Um, You seem to be under the impression that I have time to read. you know, I, I generally, you know, I'm, I, I have become uh, one of those guys who is a trade waiter uh, because I realized that, that ultimately I was, when I would get to the comic store, I would be buying single issues and then never reading them until the trade was out and I bought that anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, the stuff that I keep up with is, uh, you know, it, it, I guess there's a there's some varied material to it, but a lot of it is, um, a lot of it's creator own stuff. Uh, all, you know, the Hellboy, the, the ever burgeoning Hellboy universe. Um, uh, you know, I'm really digging criminal, uh, fatal, um, the rocketeer stuff. I adore the rocketeer as a character. And I think, uh, IDW has just done a, done a great job in, in gathering people to, to contribute stories to the adventures title. Oh, and uh, you know that new one with Chris Somney and uh, oh. Mark Wade. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to that a bunch. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But uh, but all the actually all of the Rocketeer stuff that that IDW has done has been uh, has been really top notch. Um, you know, I I'm reading you know Daredevil because that's a great book right now. Oh uh, man, Daredevil is so good. Is a really good book right now. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I'm much more a fan of, of creators than I am of sure. specific characters, uh, which I know is not, you know, I, I think probably the, the majority of the audience is more attuned to, uh, is more attuned to characters. And there's, you know, there's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, buy what you like is, is what it really comes down to. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll fall in and out of books as, uh, as somebody comes on and does a good run and then, I'll uh, I'll drift away as uh, you know if if I'm not interested in in that particular team anymore, um, and I think I'm also reading some of the you know some older stuff as well just because I think uh, even if it's stuff that I've I've read in the past like you know I, I read Kamandi uh, oh. issues here and there pulled out of a quarter bin as a kid. God, I love Kamandi. And then you know of course when the you know, when the big fat omnibus comes out, well, I I gotta go buy it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I picked it up. <laughs> I uh, I picked up the the big fat Commandi book. I love Commandi. I even liked um, the uh, Commandi at Earth's End, the Elseworlds book they did. Oh yeah, I, you know, it, to me, yeah. it's just I, I like the fact that those kind of things are out there. Yeah. Um, so that it's not simply a steady diet of superheroes. Right. Um, you know, and I know I've said this any number of times before is, you know, look, I, I, I like pizza, but I don't want to eat it every day for, for dinner. Right. Um, I, I want to have a, a bunch of different flavors. And, um, I think right now comics are doing, doing a pretty decent job, uh, overall of getting a lot of different flavors out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we're doing a great job in terms of selling a lot of those different flavors because superheroes still very much dominate the market. Um, but, 
you know, at least there's at least there's a variety out there if you want to look for it, which um, which is a good first step. Yeah. Well, and I think that's probably a good point to uh, wrap up this interview on. What do you think, Aaron? I think so. So, Ron, hey, thanks for your time today. Fair enough, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Always. Thank you for coming on. I think what is this your? F- I think this is your fourth appearance on the show. Third, I think. Uh-huh. Third. I th- Fourth. With with five, I get a gold watch, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, hey, if, if you're listening, prophecy number one, artifacts number eighteen, on the shelves right now. Go buy. Even, even if you're not listening, they're on the shelves right now. This is true. Yeah. So, <laughs> regardless of your listening <laughs> capacity, that's right. They're on the shelves. That's right. Well, Ron, it was great talking to you again. Thanks for coming by. Uh, no problem, guys. Anytime. Uh, you know where to find me. Yes, sir. You have a good night. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>